Well, hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast that tries to combine theology, philosophy, uh, banter, an occasional bit of baking and craft activities on the side. Basically, if uh, if we can squeeze it onto a podcast, we'll squeeze it on on this show. My name is uh, Andy Bannister, and I'm joined uh, by Eva as my partners in crime from the other end of the country, Aaron Edwards and Michael Otts. How are you, uh, how are you gents doing today? Not too bad, thank you. Not too yeah, bad. Okay. Although um, I think the pollen count in Leicestershire has just skyrocketed because yes. uh, yeah, my eyes and nose aren't doing what they should be doing. That's right. Yeah. Yes. As um, for, for for listeners who can't see, you know, Michael in glorious uh, high definitions, we go. He's busy squeezing. Well, I hope it's eye drops. When you that little <laughs> bottle, it did almost look like super glue, which would have been a, a rather, a rather, a rather embarrassing mistake. Aaron, have you ever stuck super glue in your eyes? Not, not intentionally. You know, um, there's. All, I, I did used to wake up when I was younger with that. Have you ever had that where you where you have the sleep that congeals? <laughs> yes. And then you wake up and you think you're blind, and then like you, when you actually open them, it looks like a kind of opening of like a crocodile's mouth with all this kind of. It was absolutely. I don't think I was a child when that happened. It was quite traumatizing. Um, so it's very weird to when you finally do prize your eyes open to see this kind of weird, explains, um, gloopy connection. But yeah, not so nothing. That's like super glue, but not quite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I confess, I've never done super glue, but I did once. Uh, I did once manage to uh, blow my eyebrows off when I was about nine years old. So that's one of wow. my claims. Blow them. Yeah, so a friend and I, when I was about nine, there were these little sort of uh, kind of cap gun things. So these little yellow plastic caps that you could put in and pull the trigger <laughs> on the on the toy gun and go bang. And they had this little bit of black powder in each of them to make uh, that happen. And so a friend and I, when I was about nine years old, we had the entertaining idea of, well, why don't we buy a couple of thousand of these at the toy shop? And we spent an entire afternoon scraping out the black powder. And so we had a excellent. little pile. And then my friend saying to me, well, okay, this is great. How do we light it? And I went, I'll just use a match. And so I took a match, leant over and lit the black powder. There was a sort of loud bang and a sort of mushroom cloud of fire and whatnot and uh, with the result that i had singed one eyebrow and actually blown the other off that's amazing. And i remember going home and sitting at the dinner table with like one hand like this at the table so my, my <laughs> mother wouldn't notice and was like elbows off the table what are you doing and then you know closely followed by the question no mother ever wants to ask where is your eyebrow um, <laughs> that, that's amazing uh, that reminds me of my dad has a story talk about your mom um he when he was about 10 or 11 i think him and his friends and growing up in liverpool they managed to play, they were playing a game on the top of a factory. They, they climbed up onto the roof of, of a rope factory and they started playing a game. Let's set fire to this straw and see how big the fire can get before we like get it out. So if you have a go and it gets like a certain big, then you stamp it out. And obviously if you lose the game, like everything goes wrong. And that's exactly what happened. They burned down an entire rope factory. Oh. And it was like, absolutely. Unbelievable. And then they, they ran home, ran away, but then they came back to watch the the kind of flames and then the whole neighborhood was there and then obviously the four of them have singed eyebrows and then that's how <laughs> they had the police came around and like they kind of got you know it got kind of done in for it but it was back in the day when my dad was before like a juvenile court as a result as, as you'd expect wow. and this is back in the day when the judge was like right we're going to sentence you now and my granddad was able to stand up in court and say don't don't worry judge i'll sort him out and he's like all right, fair enough. I thought you were going to think <laughs> like back that. in the days where you're, he was transported to Australia or... Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. About eyebrows, I don't know if I can top that story, but but you know, like, growing eyebrows back takes an incredibly long length of time. It's like, they're not particularly long, but... Uh, really? Uh, I was on a youth camp once, and one of the young people um, did kind of, like, that uh, dare game where basically someone dared him to shave his eyebrows off, and 
in a youth camp, you kind of think these things are all incredibly cool. And so he did. Um, but then, like, you know, two months later at school, still with no eyebrows, it obviously wasn't quite so cool. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, wasn't quite so cool. Well, there is probably a really kind of weak and tenuous link. I was waiting for this. Change one's yes, appearance. On, on, do it. Do it. So, <laughs> I, I, I know. Do it, Bannister. Do it. To these today's topic, because there was a well, we were interrupted last week by uh, by 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 the theme of sports, and it was very exciting actually recorded last week because England because uh, Scotland were about to play some important matches and uh, they then lost spectacularly. Um, we were on a mission to see if we could you know again get this podcast cancelled, and we briefly interrupted it to talk about um, sport. And now we're back onto the can we get cancelled theme because today we have you know one of the the big elephants in the room, one of the big questions that we've kind of danced around a bit on on Pod of the Gaps, but haven't uh, haven't actually uh, addressed, which is not why do Michael's eyebrows look the way they do, um, but is the whole question of transgender, uh, which is uh, which is kind of all over the place. And we try not to be particularly topical in terms of tying what we talk about on Pod of the Gaps to things happening in the news right now, because we know these these episodes have a long life. But you know, it seems every day there's a story, and uh, just uh, you know, a couple of days ago as we were planning to record uh, this episode you know yet another you know big media splash that i think just throws light on so many of the questions and issues around uh, transgender it's the story of uh, of new zealand have just announced that for their olympic team at the tokyo olympics uh, for the in the in the women's weightlifting uh, they have picked uh, laurel hubbard and who is Laurel Hubbard? Well, Laurel Hubbard was born uh, was born a man. Uh, he uh, was a man until 2012, uh, which means had all of the benefits of you know, testosterone and muscle mass and everything growing up. And so there was a huge outcry of going, what does this mean for what women? What could possibly sport? go wrong? What could possibly go wrong with putting someone who is still physically a man into the women's weight lifting category and ironically actually the person who would have been chosen if it wasn't for laurel the kind of second runner up for the you know being chosen for the team uh was uh somebody who was from an ethnic minority as well so you have a whole racial issue there as well that a white man who has decided wow. to identify as a woman uh trumps uh a biological uh woman uh from a minority ethnic background and it seems look every day there's new stories like this what's going on why is it can one of you perhaps Try and give us a bit of background. When you mentioned this, Andy, I was just thinking, like, could I identify as, you know, an under-18 weightlifter? Although then I was thinking I would still lose. So maybe <laughs> I could, like, go for, like, an under-11 weightlifter. Like, like maybe that would be – give me a chance, possibly. Yeah, yeah well, just on this issue alone, there was a very – you know, there was a there'd been a lot of media commentary, and someone made – Made made the point. Try, I mean, not trying to be funny, but just to sort of show, to expose in one sense that the ridiculousness, I guess, of this would be that if you were a, an able-bodied athlete and you decided you would identify as disabled, so you could come and compete in the Paralympics, and you know, and then you managed to beat everybody else because they were all, uh, you know, uh, disabled in some way, and there's you, uh, you know, sort of fit and everything. Mm. Would people go, oh, that's fantastic, isn't it? Isn't it great mm. that that happened? Or would you, would you be saying, well, hang on a moment, what mm. on earth are you doing? Um, would you, with the word cheating, mm. get thrown around? But obviously the Laurel Hubbard story is just the, the, mm. the, the latest yeah. tip of a much bigger mm. iceberg. I mean, mm. what is going on? Why is the trans issue everywhere it seems it's, it's interesting that the yeah I mean, I've, I've actually coined a term i think i have i don't know um i'd like to if i haven't um satiriality because i think the satire has become the reality so we often are making these sort of jokes we have been for years now what a ridiculous thing you know you've got those satire sites like babylon b 
that sort of put out the kind of you know copious amounts of sort of satire material um on various things that are going crazy in the west and, and the transgender thing is one of those or the way in which it, it it tends to sort of eat itself alive and eat eat other agendas mm. alive which actually gave birth to it so constantly we're seeing things that we joke about very quickly becoming reality and then when they become reality everyone's like oh that was never you know can't even joke about it that wasn't even um a, a possibility um and so i think there's there's it, it, many people have commented on the fact that this the speed at which this has gained prominence and traction um it is kind of astounding i think people would usually sit, tend to say that it's probably from around 2015 with the caitlin jenner formerly bruce jenner a former olympic athlete kind of coming forward and you know i know we've all had a look at the the douglas murray book and he kind of comments on this is sort of where it almost just emerged out of nowhere and a lot of media corporations jumped on it um time magazine kind of front covers and things like this where suddenly it became immediate that you had to get on board with this and no one had really thought about it but suddenly straight away they were like you better be on board with it it's the new civil rights agenda um mm -hmm. so quite a few people were you know kind of amazed at this hang on it was only like yesterday we didn't even talk about this at all and suddenly we're saying that if you don't if you don't applaud this there's there was a kind of american NFL player was it who didn't applaud for long enough at a kind of standing ovation for one of um, Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner's uh, awards, and he sat down before everyone else and got lambasted for it. So how long are you supposed to? D Douglas Murray points this out. How long are you allow? What's the kind of appropriate amount of applause one should give someone gaining a, a kind of courage award in sport for having uh, switched genders? So I think there's there's things here which we haven't even kind of caught up with the lack of reflection. I think I remember seeing uh, Philip Schofield. You know, of course, we've mentioned him before for other reasons. Uh, but, you know, on one of the kind of morning TV shows here in the UK, um, really lambasting that that Christian teacher. There's a Christian teacher who was, um, I think, lost his job, or maybe he was recovered in the end. I forget what. He was in, certainly in trouble mm -hmm. for call, accidentally kind of calling a table of girls, girls. Now, girls, have you finished your, your maths exercise? And you know, he got in massive trouble for that. Um, and when he was defending himself on TV, saying, look, I'm a Christian, I believe male God created people male and female, um, that's my right to be able to say that. I probably wouldn't use the term to them, uh, to the girls or slash boys in the class, just for the sake of trouble, avoiding trouble. But he said, I still believe that that's biologically a female. And then he was like, I cannot believe what I'm hearing, is what Schofield says. You know, let's get, you belong in the medieval era. And you're like, come on, Philip Schofield, you didn't even care about this yesterday. And suddenly you're lambasting people for being completely backward um, for doing so. So I'll just quickly, just to kind of hmm. situate this, I'll read out um, a Douglas Murray's kind of opening quote in his chapter on trans. I know we've read from this book a fair bit. There are other books available, but he's particularly incisive, I think. He says, among all the subjects in this book, The Madness of Crowds, and all the complex issues of our age, none is so radical in the confusion and assumptions it elicits and so virulent in the demands it makes as the subject of trans. There is no other issue that has so swiftly reached the stage whereby whole pages of newspapers are devoted to its latest developments and where there is a never-ending demand, not just to change the language, but to make up the science around it. So I think mm. it does really play into a lot of the stuff we've been discussing in other areas too. Yeah, I think um, I'll come to you in, in, in a sec, um, Michael. I think one of the things that I found interesting about um, about Douglas and for folks who who haven't come across Douglas Murray before, we have mentioned him on the on the show. He's he's interesting because Douglas is a, is is an atheist. He's also gay. 
So he really isn't coming from a conservative Christian mm. position at all. But I think one of the things that Douglas talks about, um, and I, both in the book and also on on some of his live uh, presentation I've seen, he said, you know, what's interesting when you, you know, we look back through history, um, invariably, you know, pick any point in history and you can look at examples of where civilizations have done amazing things but have gone mad in particular areas. A good example would be slavery. You look back to, you know, all that was going on, uh, you know, in, in Britain, you know, 300 or so kind of years ago, you know, huge advances in technology and science and knowledge, exploration, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, or the Greeks would be another example, you know, just look what they did with the classical world, all the stuff they did and built and it's amazing but they also believed it was perfectly okay to enslave another human being and he said we look back and go they were literally bonkers they were so far from the from reality uh there that um you know you kind of uh you wonder what's going on and then douglas says so what's the issue for us that future civilizations are going to look at and went god man those those folks in the 21st century had so much they had so much wealth and, and knowledge and the internet and digital technology and all kinds of stuff. And uh, But when it comes to the issue of trans, they literally went mad mm. because they got into their heads mm. that actually, despite the fact human beings are sex- a sexually dimorphic species, it is perfectly okay for somebody to just, you know, on the on the whim, identify as the other, uh, the other, the other, the other gender and so be it. Um, mm. So I suppose a, a question, Michael, I wonder mm. if you've, mm. you know, got any wisdom to shed here is, I mean, what has driven this you know it's, it's almost too easy to sit here and go it, it's crazy you know we're philosophers we're thinkers douglas murray and others are thinkers and we're used to analyzing ideas it's, it's quite easy to analyze this rapidly and it falls to pieces mm-hmm. so why has it gained the the cultural traction that it has do you think yeah and I, and I think this is quite interesting because if you listen to douglas murray he will say basically there was this train um, of progression that pulled into the station somewhere in the mid 1990s, um, and everything kind of got wonderful. And we had, you know, equality of the sexes, and we had, you know, an end to racism and everything else. And then, just at the moment where we'd reached utopia, <laughs> almost it kind of took off again, and now is kind of going crazy. Um, and you kind of have to stop and say, well, like, did we pull into the station in the 1990s or had things kind of come off the rails like a bit before that? And I think when you look kind of in academia, like actually you go back several decades before that in terms of the roots of what's happening now. This is simply the current manifestation of a bigger project, um, which has been happening acad- in academia and then filtering down into culture um, kind of ever since like the sexual revolution. Um, and, and the irony is, of course, that all the way along, when something happens, we say like, well, it's this, but, but that's crazy. That's ridiculous. We'll never get to that. But then give it five years and you do get to that. And as Aaron said, that becomes normalized and and then it's the next. And it's the, basically the deconstruction of, of, of society ultimately. So all of the things that traditionally that we would have said kind of systems that held society together and may have been good for the flourishing society, we seek to deconstruct those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, this is not the end of the road by any means. You know, if we think that, yes, once we get to kind of equality for trans people, this project will finish. Mm-hmm. We're saying actually, no, not at all. There will be other things. Now, of course, whenever you say that, people go, don't be ridiculous. You're just scaremongering. Um, mm-hmm. But then actually experience shows that, that many of those prophecies, inverted commas, actually do come true. Mm-hmm. Well, I think on the scaremongering piece, I've always thought a helpful way to sort of 
make people reflect on that, Michael, is to do some mm. little thought experiments. So imagine that you had a time machine. Mm. And imagine you were to, you know, go back in time to the sort of 70s or 80s mm. and uh, and talk to folks back then and say, you know, well, well in, the, in the 1990s and, and 2000s, you know, gay rights is going to finally arrive and there'll be equal marriage. Mm. And back then you might have found people on the progressive end of politics mm. who would just believe that, God, oh, it's so exciting. Because they, I'm not affirming it myself, but they would find that exciting. Mm. And think, yeah, okay, I just believe it. And then you would say to them, oh, yeah, and then 10 years later, we're going to, the whole trans mm. thing is going to kick off. They would look at you and go, don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. Because mm. they couldn't see it. It was too mm. far beyond yeah. their, their horizon mm. of possibility. So to go, look, if those folks couldn't see it coming, goodness knows what we mm. what we can't see coming. And and I think in terms of beginning in the university, I think, you know, you're you're right. There's a, there's a, there's a great book that a few, you know, a lot of people have been reading of, of late uh, called Cynical Theories, uh, by Helen Pluckrose and, and James Lindsay, really looking how a lot of these ideas um, began mm. uh, in the university. And they talk about the fact that, you know, in the 1960s, particularly postmodernism was yeah. everywhere in the universities, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Derrida and Foucault and, 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 and so forth and other sort of thinkers. But it was very much in the, in the realm of the mind and ideas. People talk about those yeah. as, as ideas and, and concepts mm-hmm. and they deconstructed texts. Mm-hmm. What we're now seeing is effectively applied postmodernism is people mm-hmm. take yeah. it and go, well, let's actually apply this in the, mm-hmm. in the real world. And I guess my yeah. concern is the damage um, that does, particularly to women. Actually, we you know, started with the story of, of Laurel uh, Hubbard, and that's women's sport that's going to be drastically damaged. And then, um, Aaron, one of the things we were talking about before the show, uh, you know, is the impact this is having on young women, right? Um, you know, another book recommendation. We'll put some of these into the show notes. There's an American journalist called Abigail Schreier who wrote one of the most powerful books I've read for a long time called Irreversible Damage. Uh, picking up on the fact that if you look at the below the stats of of, of, of people who are transitioning, uh, vast numbers of teenage girls. And she said there is something actually deeper going on with teenage girls because a few generations ago it was teenage girls who were, you know, having suffering eating disorders in massive amounts, so anorexia, bulimia. Then we had the self-harm phenomena. Again, teenage girls, primarily those who are self-harming. We had the whole satanic abuse and and false memory sort of stuff that went on in the 90s. I remember that wave go through. Again, teenage girls. And now teenage girls are a big part of what's driving the transgender thing. And Abigail says there is something going on with teenage girls right now that they are hurting so badly that, again, they're, they're reaching out, you know, in sort of psychic distress in this kind of way. What is going on um, there, uh, Aaron? I mean, is, she, is she onto something that there's an issue, particularly around women and how transgender is affecting them or connected in... Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I hadn't heard the um, that connection until you mentioned it um, just before. The you know about the the kind of that you know connection between different kind of issues that have affected uh, younger women. I, I see it as um, something that is connected to the narrative. Clearly, there is a, a sense of vulnerability um, that that can affect women more, especially in our modern society. So when we've actually really we've, we've been sort of changing gender anyway feminism itself has been very very powerful as a movement in loads of different ways it has meant that men don't feel as comfortable to be men and women don't feel as comfortable to be, to be women so even if if you think you think of people like Jermaine Greer who was a kind of radical feminist in the 60s who's now cancelled by the trans movement and she's complaining and you can see you know it's really unfair because how can they possibly be against Jermaine Greer she's kind of like an arch, you know, guardian writing liberal, um, but in a way, um, the some of the moves of, of, of uh, second wave feminism were influential upon trans without being without intending to be so. Mm-hmm. And so, I think once you, yeah, mess with some of this stuff, 
to the extent that our Western society has done, and I think it's a bigger issue to really to get into properly on this show, really, but it, it does have these kinds of effects. So, so it does mean that people at vulnerable stages of their life don't know how to be who they seem to be created to be. Um, so I think it's not surprising that there'll be people at those vulnerable stages of life who will kind of reach out for something, for some kind of attention or for some kind of radical transformation that might help them to be saved. It's almost like a kind of religious yearning for salvation. How can I live a life that really Mm. make sense of me and actually I I can get to the heart of my identity Mm. and the sad thing about identity politics is it serves them up this complete junk of a of a sort of remedy that will only keep asking for more it's the Mm -hmm. same with any idolatry it's kind of like you know you you often see this in 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 sort of some of the pagan cults or or they still still exist in various places of the world but especially Mm -hmm. in the ancient world where it was it was almost a dependency upon this idol and i have to keep coming back and coming back and coming back and there's no sense of assurance there's no sense of identity of the same thing you get in in uh, in christian conversion where you're kind of completely um transformed and and, and ongoingly sanctified this kind of thing we we see a conver- reversal of this and uh, yeah a dependency upon things so yeah that, that's probably how i would uh, see that issue the other thing i just say briefly on it would be the narrative that, that is I'm, I'm particularly worried about here is relating to younger children. I mean, it, it's really, really quite scary. I was just from my office window earlier today. The nur- there's a nursery that's on the site uh, where I am at the, at the college I work at. And, you know, just seeing all these children walking across the field, doing a kind of little forest, forest school thing. These are kind of two, three-year-olds just thinking, gosh, this is coming for them. Right now, I think they're okay. But these young, vulnerable, innocent children are already, by the time they get to primary school, this mm. kind of rhetoric is already in the air. I'm dealing with it with my own children in primary school. Not not that my children are thinking about this, but the mm. fact that we're seeing the rhetoric coming in with some of their peers at primary school level, um, and we can see different um, initiatives coming into primary schools, which will put mm. pressure. And I mean, if, we, if, if parents think, oh, it will never get that bad, just you're kidding yourself, it is going to get worse, and the pressure will get worse. Yeah. The stuff we've had on LGBT stuff is going to increase for primary school. And so we need to be really wary of children who are vulnerable, teenagers who are vulnerable, and how to protect them against some of this stuff. And I think you're right that it's already it's already coming in because, you know, this is a topic for another for another episode, no doubt. But you know, one of the reasons we as a family made the choice to homeschool, there were a few mm. reasons, mm. but was looking around, particularly here, Scotland is worse than England, if that's possible. Mm. Mm. on this and going schools are becoming ideological boot camps uh and i am not really happy with mm. my child mm. being taught there are 150 mm. genders mm. and that uh and that mm. you know sex is you know mm. and, and so on and so forth when quite frankly they need to be being just taught how to how to read and write mm. um so for, that was one of the reasons for us but sorry michael you were going to chip in and say yeah, something like just to say because you you asked kind of why this has gained traction and we can look at it kind of in academia and how that's filtered down but i think one of the things that's very interesting is one of the reasons why it's gained traction is it taps into this human desire for compassion. So it says, if you are going to be compassionate in our current age, you have to get behind this because otherwise you are horrible, hateful, bigoted. So, so and so's just as, and you're on the same side as the Ku Klux Klan were in the sixties, basically you were against the, the, the program, you hate people and so on. And I think one of the things we really want to work on is, why do people 
go with something which when you break it down and actually think about it is saying some incredibly absurd things and it's because we're told that that is the way to be compassionate and I think therefore one of the ways to respond to that is to say well actually is this being compassionate and one of the illustrations I often use is to say well you know if if I'm dealing with a young person who is you know suffering of anorexia Mm. and they say you know I feel that I am fat and therefore I should should not eat now I don't endorse their feelings um, I've got to challenge those feelings. It's the basic kind of thing in CBT. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because as a society, generally, we recognize the value of CBT, challenging one's thoughts with objective truth. So surely in this area, um, we need to also challenge feelings with objective truth, not because we're being horrible and hateful, because we're being compassionate, because actually there's huge damage that's being done. And the, the book by Abigail Schreier is so horrific in the sense, because it's saying like, we are doing stuff that is completely untested, that may have incredible long-term physical damage upon on young girls particularly. Um, and we're doing it all in the name of being compassionate and we're being the opposite. Yeah. yeah. So we need to be careful, like we need to be careful in our language when we respond to this. Like we're not we're not responding to this because we hate people and we just want to have a philosophical argument. We're responding because actually we're really, really concerned for the well-being of, of people. And we think, you know, this is not going to be for people's long-term flourishing and well-being. Yeah. I think that's very helpful to keep to ground it that way. And I think that you know one of the things that's that's interested me around the, the trans discussion for a long while, actually, Michael connects something that, that Aaron was saying that uh, you know in some ways that transgender ideology functions like a, a religion. Actually, I'm struck more and more by this. I mean, the idea that inside you, you know, although that you may have the body of a man, inside you have the soul of a woman. So go, that's a that's a profoundly religious idea that the real you is is not mm, yeah. material, but is this in a, in a soul. And actually, there's some things there as Christians might want to say. Well, actually, you might just be onto something, yeah. even mm-hmm. though I'm not totally sure about the way you're expressing it. Mm-hmm. The other one that interests me, and in what you described there, is that we've also built into the transgender movement, you know, a very what what uh, in terms of religious ideas, one would call Gnosticism. And Gnosticism mm-hmm. was that old, you know, Greek idea from you know over 2000 years ago that so what really kind of matters is the inner life of the mind and of feelings and 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 the world of matter and things and stuff is somehow second rate and it's long fascinated me that if you've got somebody who is expressing some kind of gender dysphoria you know that they've got the body of a of a of a male but inside they 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 somehow think they're a woman why our first move in today's culture be well okay clearly what we need to do is give you uh you know lots of hormones and chop your bits off and, and try and change you that way Whereas why not actually use counselling and talking therapies and see if we can explore why is there this tension and let's see if we actually bring the mind into harmony with the body rather than wrench the body into harmony with the with the mind. Um, so it fascinates me the way that uh, you know these very old religious ideas are, are, are bubbling through the transgender. Yeah. And I don't know what you think of this, Aaron, but I wonder whether we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot a bit as Christians, because although you talk about Gnosticism as a kind of ancient idea, it's an idea that has been prevalent and infiltrating Christian theology ever since, which is this idea that what's really important is your soul. And so as Christians, we can kind of, in our preaching, in our talking, we can give the impression that your body doesn't really matter. Whereas that's not a biblical idea. Our body really does matter. It is part of our identity and it's part of discovering who we are. Um, And we're not to kind of break it down in that kind of Greek way, um, just as the physical world matters because God created it and so on. And so actually in a positive way, you know, one of the ways I discover my identity is actually by looking at the body I've been given. You know, I have flat feet, so I'm rubbish at running. <laughs> I'm never going to be an Olympic 100-meter runner. But I have, you know... A Unless you enter the under fives, of course. 
Well, <laughs> maybe That's in the under fives, but, uh, but but at the same time, you know, I've got a high lung capacity and I've got quite good endurance. So long distance cycling and that kind of thing I am good at. And that's become a big part of my life and so on. So just a kind of simple illustration of rather than trying to conform my body to fit with what I feel I should be, I say, actually, what is the body I'm given? And then how is that going to affect the person I am going to become hmm. um, in different ways? That's interesting. I, and they, just off the back of what both of you just said there, I, I was thinking especially of um, the Corinthian church in, in the New Testament, because I think what you described there, Michael, of the disembodied, perhaps disembodied evangelicalism, which I think is definitely true. You know, I, I don't, I know you two, you two are big anti-right fans. I, I'm not so big of an anti-right fan, but I do, I, I agree with him in the sense that his big, big problem with contemporary evangelicalism has been um yeah this this notion of a gospel where you are just a, a spirit mm-hmm. that drifts off to heaven and then nothing you do here really matters which would include of course acts of the body and everything else even mm-hmm. if I think he goes a bit too far with with the kind of eschatology he brings in where it mm-hmm. ends up becoming kind of middle class culture building is is almost the gospel um but that's probably a bit unfair but anyway but I, th- I do think he's onto something and you and and what you say there the fact that we've we've peddled a gospel which does seem to give you no no place to run or no place to go with your with your body and with your other pursuits. So you almost go to church um, for your spiritual fix, and then there's this thing like the coffee time afterwards is not the service and not yeah. not really part of it. And I always find that weird. I, I found it when I used to, I used to run a small I'm running a small group or hosting a small group actually, mm. where one of the elders of the church was actually leading the group. Um, I think mm. they might have been sussing my wife and I out about whether we could host one or not. And I remember we used to really enjoy having, you know, good times of like banter with everyone, to, you know, mm. hosting them basically when they, when they arrive, chatting away, getting into all sorts of different discussions back and forth. And then there'd always be a really awkward moment where this leader would come in and go, right, let's make a start. I was thinking, you don't think we've started? <laughs> like, do you yeah. think this is fellowship or community? No, let's make a start on like the actual thing, the real stuff that God cares about. <laughs> oh, okay. We were just sinning before, weren't we, by chatting? Uh, and it's, it's a really weird thing that we've gotten into the mm-hmm. habit of. Now, obviously, people have gone the other way, as, as with many things, but I do think we need to find, find a way to bring these things together. Mm-hmm. And I think the Corinthian church, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. They had this problem of being these spiritual, had all these spiritual experiences. They love spiritual gifts. They're speaking out in tongues over one another. Paul's having to bring very specific things about church order there to this kind of almost uber charismatic sect in a way that could have become. But also they had this problem of sexual immorality. And those things are not coincidental because it can be that when you become disembodied like that you can think oh my body doesn't really matter as much it doesn't matter if i have sex with people in in these ways or if i act in this particular way so he really goes to town on sexual morality and on gender gender distinction so one corinthians is one of those tricky has many tricky passages for people in the west today and i think you know this is part of the issue i would say that we've kind of gone wrong i mentioned jermaine greer earlier and the way that feminism has affected western culture i think the church has really followed it's very slowly, but still has followed the coattails of some of that. And now we find ourselves finding passages in places like 1 Corinthians and going, oh, I have literally no idea what to do with that. I'll just pretend it isn't there. Or, or I'll find a scholar to get me out of trouble, as we tend to do. And just a book plug on that, um, Paula Gooder has written a book called Bodies. Um, mm. and that's actually really helpful in terms of looking at the theology behind the presenting issue. I'm just saying, actually, what particularly looking at the writings of Paul and Paul's kind of theology of the body, um, which interestingly, actually, Pope John Paul um, did his major kind of work on. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to read some Catholic on it, I think that's also you know, um, 
there's some really good stuff in there. Mm. But but this idea of the theology of the body, you know, is really helpful in terms of looking at what's the undergirding like mm. idea here and, and where when we've gone wrong, that's not helped others. Mm. Yeah, I think it's uh, some helpful thoughts in there. Um, you mentioned of 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 Corinthians, mentioned of, of 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 the Bible. I suppose there's a nice sort of segue, maybe to the last mm. sort of topic we get to explore around this. Now, kind of final. 10 minutes or so is you know it's very easy as christians right to sit here and critique you know particularly those of us who are thinkers mm. who read books or listen to, to podcasts or this mm. kind of stuff and go okay well obviously you know transgender is wrong for all these reasons that's my nt right voice um <laughs> uh, kind of thing because we can critique it philosophically and culturally and so on and so forth but the fact of the matter is there are people caught up in the transgender movement who are although they may be kind of broken messy kind of individuals wrestling all these things are made in god's image and as the church we want to be reaching those people and i'm struck of course when you look at the gospels you look at, at jesus you know he didn't stand on the sidelines looking at the the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the, the people who were you know on the sort of fringe of society and go well i'm not going there he he went there uh, not to compromise but to but to reach and to rescue how is how as christians and as the church can we can we take on that that challenge because our friends in the transgender community need need jesus too mm-hmm. Aaron, for, for our listeners, Aaron is um, raising his eyebrows in a way that says, Michael, you go Michael, first. <laughs> Michael, you're the evangelist here. Yeah, that's Michael, right. Well, yes, exactly. Mike, well, I'm an evangelist, but I'm in the... Ho- I'm, I'm in the yeah, hot- Aaron's I'm just a... Pastor. Pastor. I'm, I'm oh, the caveat of evangelists. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring my caveat to yeah. you after you... What uh, is Aaron the collective What's the collective noun for a group of evangelists? Um, a gaggle or... A gaggle. I think an enthusiasm. A waffle? just a waffle <laughs> we're good at well, actually, one of my colleagues at solas has coined this phrase that actually we quite like we started using he says that christians should be sort of uh you know sort of hope mongers you know you're fish mongers and iron mongers oh, and people who, who you know who can't shut up about their wares we should be people of hope so maybe the collective term for a group oh, of evangelists yeah. is, is a munger of evangelists right. but anyway there's one evangelist to yeah. another michael anyway, say, yes i mean i think like you say and this is why i mentioned it earlier we need to be acting and speaking in compassion i think it's helpful to say that i think it's helpful to say that our our concern here is not because we're wanting to be hateful and hurtful but we want to speak with compassion and we think that actually jesus is god wants you know god in christ wants our flourishing our goodness he wants to give us life and so on and therefore we want to challenge and correct error where we 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 see it and where it's going to be harmful to people um i think i mean preston sprinkle to give you another book um recommendation preston sprinkle has written a really helpful book um on it and the name of it has just escaped me, but we'll put it in the show notes. Um, and and he's very helpful because actually, you know, he's got lots of friends here in the trans community, and you know, he, he obviously kind of ran the book by them. And although not all of them have agreed with everything, they were willing to kind of engage with it. Um, and so, if you want to kind of look at a book that is more pastoral rather than just theoretical, that's a really helpful book to go to. And he has a great line at the beginning. He says, "You know, if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person. You've not met them all." Um, we've talked, you know, earlier about the um, situation of, you know, particularly young, g- younger girls in Western culture. But there are all sorts of people in different stages of life um, who were born biologically male and female who, for different reasons, have come to a point of becoming uncomfortable in their biological body. So he just says, you know, don't extrapolate the one idea that you've once heard and think that everyone's doing this for the same reason. They're not. Let's have compassion. Let's listen to people's stories and so on. But at the same time, actually, we need to speak truth. And so he does come down to the conclusion that actually, yes, we need to learn how to live 
um, at peace in the biological body that we're given rather than trying to conform that to our felt um, feeling of gender. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that I find in kind of evangelistic talks when this comes up as a question uh, that I find very helpful to talk about is to say, actually, one of the things that we want to do and have been trying to do as a society is to get away from some of the kind of Victorian, um, uh, what might we say, um, preconceptions or stereotypes of gender in terms of if you're a bloke, you have to do this. And if you're a woman, you have to do this. Um, and that's been good. You know, we've liberated ourselves. Right. So, you know, my, my wife can be an airline pilot, for instance. You know, she's not constrained to just being a housewife or something like that. But at the same time, the irony, of course, of the transgender movement is it seems to be at times reinforcing gender stereotypes that we feel that we've been liberated from. Mm-hmm. Um, so the moment that someone doesn't seem to kind of, you know, represent um, or feel kind of historically masculine traits, mm-hmm. um, they can't therefore be a male. And and we want to say, actually, maybe the Bible can set us free. It's not to say the Bible doesn't have anything to say about what it means to be a man or a woman. But actually, if you read Proverbs 31, <laughs> it's not a Victorian kind of culturally defined view of what a woman is. And um, there's a whole load of feminine attributes there in Proverbs 31 that we might historically have associated with masculinity. So, so actually saying, you know, we want to challenge that. I think that can be a helpful thing. There's lots more we can say as well, but it's probably enough for now. Yeah, yeah, I, a, a book, just, by the way, I think yeah. is um, embodied transgender identity yes. in the church and what the Bible is saying. And I have to say, if you're a Christian who wants to write a book on transgender, having a name like Preston Sprinkle, I mean, Struth, <laughs> that is just like a gift on honor. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I, when yeah. I first heard that name, I was like, really? That's a, that's amazing. I paid perfect name. Um, just to jump in off the air. Yeah, you jump in before I uh, yeah. Um, or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think it's really helpful, you know, and one of the things we need to focus on is, is looking out for the marginalized and not just sort of thinking we're going to be right. I mean, there's that Ben Shapiro line that's now on T-shirts called Facts Don't Care About Your Feelings. Now, objectively speaking, I think it's actually a true thing when you're talking theoretically. And he was in a debate on trans on national television when he said that, when someone was you know, saying, I feel this way. He said, no, you, you have certain chromosomes and, and they, they don't correlate to your feelings. So that's you just you don't get to change your gender based on your feelings. Um, so that's why he said this famous phrase, facts don't care about your feelings. But if we're thinking pastorally, well, actually, facts ought to care. The truth ought to care about your feelings. In, in the sense, the way that we handle the truth. How do you rightly handle the word of truth, as Paul would say to Timothy? Um, and there's ways that Christians really need to think about those things. But at the same time, we've said many times on this show, we need to re- maintain our edge. So, of course, the first thing we'll always say is, oh, let's be pastoral. And by pastoral, like we said before, can often mean let's stroke and let's um do the opposite of what you were saying earlier michael like challenging some of these things as well and you think of jesus he's you know speaking speaking to certain different people in different ways who you know who would be the pharisees today who would be the people often will say well the pharisee type people today would obviously be the anti-trans religious types the people who are anti-trans they must be the horrible pharisees who are trying to you know um put constraints on people to stop them um, being who they're created to be or something like this. Mm. Um, and actually, I think it's the opposite. I think it's the, the LGBT lobby groups, which are more likely the Pharisees who are putting mm. things, putting powerful agendas on onto people's uh, backs mm. and, and, and actually really silencing the voices of those who, who disagree. And like we've said before, vulnerable people are at stake here. This is a really big issue. This is a gospel issue mm. in the sense that do we care about liberating people? Mm. So it's a gospel issue in our proclamation to the world, being mm. salt and light, helping these people. Mm. And of course, it's also a big deal within the church. We haven't 
really faced a huge thing of trans people within evangelical churches. It's been a, a big thing beyond evangelical churches for sure. But I think that's coming too because it's you know many of these things have all it will, will eventually trickle in. And the one thing I'll quickly say, just probably in slight disagreement with Michael, not disagree. We don't really disagree Ooh, on part of the gaps. Fine, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a big you know I have a real sense that. Um, I, where we've gone wrong on lots of these issues and how to respond to them is because we've been uh, we've downplayed what the Bible says about masculinity and femininity. I don't think it raves about it epically, but I do think it's a huge theme all the way through. And we basically act like it's this thing in the background that doesn't really matter if you change it um, because it's really embarrassing. The Bible is embarrassing on gender. Um, and the proper scholars, as it were, inverted commas which you can't see if you're listening to this um in the academy they tend the ones who, who really go to town on this they end up saying stuff like paul was a misogynist so we so the evangelicals have to deal with that and go okay we clearly aren't allowed to think paul is a misogynist so how do we reconcile it and then you get that's why you get nt right saying ludicrous things like junior was an apostle and things like this um because they're trying to clutch at straws for how to create a situation where women can map onto the results of second and third wave, wave feminism in, in the modern West. It's really obvious that that's what's happening. But I completely agree with you, Michael, that, that within that, there's also cultural stereotypes which can be demolished, mm. and Scripture helps us do that. Women are massively um, mm. important within Scripture, and men are in different ways, right? So they have different things to do, but they're not necessarily this kind of prudish, very straight-laced ideal. The Proverbs 31 woman is completely different to the 50s housewife thing that we often have in our minds. Um, and yet at the same time, she's under the authority of her husband. So there are things there which are still embarrassing to what many of the kind of <laughs> cool people things are uh, for speaking today. So I think there's things there where we, if we can recover that, and I would say this to pastors, if you're dodging this issue, going, I don't want to get in trouble. Actually, I think the best way for you to, um, you know, be a, a good voice of salt and light to your people and to people that you're trying to reach will be to emphasize these things. Cause I think society needs to recover some of these things because we're going mad. We're literally walking off a cliff. And so missionally speaking, I think recovering the embarrassing parts of gender and owning those and thinking how to interpret them responsibly, mm -hmm. but actually saying, right, well, yeah. why did God create men and women complementarily as it were? Why, why are they supposed to complement one another? That gets to the root of some of these issues theologically Mm. where how we can challenge transgender i would say so if we haven't got ourselves cancelled talk about the transgender <laughs> issue aaron has just achieved it by, by throwing <laughs> and you can, um, you can throw me off into a gap great podcast to do those i think it would i think we're, well things. we've got a podcast coming up on marriage we mm. perhaps also have one on on masculinity and mm. uh and femininity and uh, and this is great because I love it when we do actually get a debate going because I'm somewhere between between the, the two of you on this. Not least that like, I do think Junior was at Junior I was not was an apostle. Well, that's a discussion. <laughs> uh, where I where I'd love to bring it into land because we are coming up to the, the 45 minute mark is you know one of the things I think struck me in a lot of the transgender stuff is how you know I think I think there is a lot of brokenness underneath society and lives that I think you know people's mm. grasping for the transgender mm. thing has been an attempt to hide. And I remember reading a, a really interesting uh, reflection somebody wrote on the whole, where we started actually with Bruce Jenner and Caitlyn Jenner, where perhaps all this kind of kicked off. That very famous cover, I think it was Vanity yeah. Fair magazine, wasn't it? Where yeah. where Caitlyn, the newly uh, titled Caitlyn Jenner, uh, was there, dressed interestingly not as a 50-year-old woman, but as a 25-year-old woman. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, Bruce had uh, changed age as well as yeah. gender. But somebody pointed out, it's very interesting, if you go and look at that photograph, you can find it on uh, on Google image search, really easy to find. Very interesting to see what is not in shot. 
<laughs> the fact that Bruce Jenner's hands, Caitlyn Jenner's hands, are not in shot. They're behind her back, if you look at the photograph. And the reason for that, I believe the photo, I've read the story that the, photo, the, photo, the photographer was asked about that. And he simply commented, well, he, he couldn't find a way of making her hands look feminine. She, Bruce <laughs> had these great big dinner plates, very obviously masculine hands. And so they're, they're hidden. I read a very fascinating reflection on this from a gospel perspective, saying, is it interesting that all of us have something that try as we might, we cannot hide. We have brokenness yeah. and stuff that we're embarrassed about in our lives and our character and identity. And, mm. and even with, you know, all the kind of transitioning in the world, we can't quite hide. Mm. But the interesting thing is God sees it anyway. Uh, you know, God can see those hands and Christ still died mm. for Caitlyn Jenner and the gospel invitation for her to come to Christ and have the brokenness properly dealt with still stands. And as Christians, you know, how can we reach out to people and say, look, you know, we may disagree with you on some things, but we are not going to judge you. We want to welcome you in spite of your brokenness because that's the gospel come invitation. And it was a beautiful way of preaching that message through that, through that picture. Well, we have touched on all kinds of issues for uh, for another for another time. If we don't get ourselves cancelled, there's a running gag that we're going to get. Can- I don't think we're going to get cancelled. I I uh, I think we're not edgy. We need to get more edgy. We need to start. We do you know, have a Twitter handle though? So oh like, yes, that will- oh yes, we do. Yes, the real exactly. one. I, 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 I got the wrong. I posted to the wrong we one. Do. It's, it's ca- I, I well, I basically discovered how to create your own Twitter handle. I didn't know. Now we um, are pod I, I, again. Yes, I realised I was about to say we now do have a Twitter handle, and it came out of my mouth a moment ago as we knew do, which is maybe a Scottish word for for we knew do. Uh, so we now do have a, a a proper functioning Twitter handle and probably about three followers, but we are going to start kind of using it. So if you are on on on, on Twitter, I know that all that Twitters is not gold, but uh, but many of you are on Twitter. Thank you for the three listeners who laughed at that joke, Michael, with a with a drum roll, please. What is the official Pot of the Gaps Twitter handle? We are at yes. Yes. Pod of the Gaps. <gasps> you must have been up all night thinking. I know, I know. It's, it's, it, I really wrestled with various options, but uh, but that is it. It's all lowercase, no underscores, no capital letters. Although I don't think capital letters makes a difference in Twitter, does it? It's amazing that earlier, because you, you were like, I've gone for Gaps Pod originally, and then me and Andy were like, why not Pod of the Gaps? So anyway, if you are... On Twitter, check us out on uh, at Pod of the Gaps. If you're on Facebook, you can look up Pod of the Gaps. We're there as well. We post all the new shows. Um, if you enjoy uh, Pod of the Gaps and would love us to continue, do perhaps consider uh, supporting the show. We are a listener-supported show. That's the phrase these days. On the on our in the show notes for the show, you'll find a link to our Patreon uh, channel. You know, if you like what we do, chip in a quid or two a month. It all makes a difference with all various costs. Not many, but the costs that do go into producing this. And other than that, it just uh, falls to me to say uh, thank you to uh, Michael and uh, Aaron for their uh, contributions. We hope you enjoyed listening to this on your run, on a walk in the car, making sourdough, whatever you're doing, where you catch your podcast. And we'll be back with another exciting episode and another entirely non-controversial topic uh, in a week or 10 days' time. Uh, So uh, on behalf of the three of us, bye for now. 